I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is psychologist and author Leo Flanagan, Ph.D., We're going to be talking about the five resiliency tools that can protect your child from self-harm. The mental health crisis is getting younger. The number of children needing urgent mental health care has been on the rise for years and has devastatingly spiked over the pandemic. We've never been before in our history seen this type of anguish in children and teenagers so young. Although this crisis will require resources and time to resolve, Leo Flanagan, psychologist, trauma, and resiliency expert, is sharing some resilience tools to connect with your child to support their emotional health and alert you to warning signs that they are struggling. With over 30 years of experience in studying and developing resilience, Flanagan has responded to numerous disasters, including 9-11, the Sandy Hook Newtown shooting, Hurricane Sandy, and many more. Welcome to the show, Dr. Flanagan. Leo? Thank you, Catherine. Leo, please. Yeah, okay. Well, it's great to have you here today. Obviously, timely topic. You know, the statistics, I guess, are not good in terms of younger children suffering mental health problems, which I I just said in the intro, but... um, I guess the first question is, first, before we can talk about the resilience tools, we what are the warning signs? How do we know that our own, that our kid is, or our children or grandchildren are suffering? What are we, what are we supposed to be looking for after this pandemic? Post, I say post pandemic, I don't even know if it's post pandemic. Maybe we're, we're still in the midst of it, right? Yeah, I think we're uh, unfortunately headed for, we're in the midst of another surge and the, uh, the latest modeling done on behalf of the CDC says that the Delta variant surge will peak in October. So, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of a rough ride, especially as we um, go into the school year. Um, in terms of signs, you want to be aware of any change in behavior, um, which is very broad. And kids are growing and developing, and there's lots of changes in behavior. But you particularly want to look for what we call amplification. So, when people, children or adults, are under stress, they often don't do new things, they just do more of old things. So if you've got uh, a child who has spent, you know, a lot of time in their room and all of a sudden they're spending all their time in the room, that's a signal. Um, If you've got a child that, you know, uh, like to read um, and now it's just, I mean, that's a very healthy thing, except when a child is, you know, kind of 24-7 reading, um, it's a sign that something's up. So, um, and you also don't want to, you want to be thoughtful, you want to be aware, you want to observe it, but you don't want to overreact, right? Because, uh, you know, there's just lots of stress in our world. Um, Kids and and adults as well are having trouble um, getting through this. We will. Um, But just watch for things like that. And there's obvious things, right? So, when kids well, when um, you say don't overreact, and, what do you okay? What do you mean? Okay, so you have a, a child who likes to read, but suddenly they are reading twenty four seven. What is overreacting, and what is reacting correctly, or in the right way, or a helpful way? Um, yeah, o- o- overreacting yeah. is not assuming that something's wrong. It's more about I would call it curiosity. So, you know, uh, Daniel, I, I noticed you. You know, you've always loved to read, but it seems like. That's all you do now. What, what's going on, right? Um, in, a, in a calm way, because one of the things that we need to do for our children is to be a source of stability 
and calmness and in this very chaotic time, a certain level of certainty. So um, you don't want to overreact. And I, as a parent and a grandparent, I know how frightening this, this idea is. Um, and I've had uh, family members and uh, really good friends lost to suicide. It's, it's unimaginable grief. So I get the fear. But as parents, we want to stay as grounded as we can. And we also want to be self-aware, right? So the latest data for the U.S. says 40% of us have diagnosable levels of anxiety or depression. So, you know, you want to be thoughtful. How am I doing, right? Kind of, you know, it's what the airlines say. Put your mask on first as a parent. Make sure you're grounded. Make sure you're focused. Um, and you're going into conversations with your child with a sense of kind of calm and, for lack of a better way, ordinary. It shouldn't be like a big conversation. You should get used to having regular conversations with your child just because that's part of good parenting and having a loving relationship. Um, and it's also, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'm spending a couple of weeks with two of my grandkids, and I have a 14-year-old grandson, and we've had some really important conversations. Um, and, you know, we tend to have them. We were sitting by the bay and just hanging out, and we just started talking, took them to a baseball game, we just started talking. So it's better to do it kind of in the course of the day rather than say, okay, I need to sit down and talk to you, right? Um, yeah. So that's what I mean by kind of being calm and going into it. I think sometimes, and I think there have been some studies, that children really do well when they connect or have the ability to connect with grandparents because you're sort of one step away from the parents, easier to talk to sometimes, um, which kind of sounds like, like that's what you, besides you're a psychologist, obviously, but able to do with your grandson who's 14 years old. You're not as threatening as the parents, um, uh, and, and and that's a good thing in these kinds of conversations. And, and you're absolutely right, and I think we can we can expand the notion of grandparent, right? So it's anybody mm-hmm. who knows the child is concerned about them, is a loving person, and has a little distance. So. You know, there's nothing wrong. I strongly encourage parents to, again, make it a regular thing of having these conversations and not just to assess mental health, but just to build a relationship and support the child. But if you've got a family friend who is trusted and, you know, that that one step away, as you say, you know, ask them to, you know, have a chat. You know, what do they think? What's going on? But, again, don't don't be pushing the panic button because that's just going to – exacerbate any situation you're facing, right? You want to go into it with a sense of um, that this is natural. You know, um, when I talk to children about their concerns and their anxieties and their depression, um, a lot of that is a natural response to a very uncertain world, to say the least. So not to say it's not dysfunctional, but, you know, hey, you know, we're all kind of struggling and we know how to take care of this. I think one of the things, and you, you, I, I know you've emphasized this, um, that you're not alone, because I, I think parents are just struggling with all of these issues that we're discussing, but sometimes people feel alone and isolated, and it, don't you, is it really important for parents to connect as you, with other parents and, and, and share things, maybe that they ordinarily wouldn't share, you know, sometimes you don't like to share things if your child is having mental health problems, but kind of in these dire situations and crisis, it's a good thing to do that um, so the parents don't feel isolated and alone? Sure. 
Um, I think parenting groups, you know, good ones that are very supportive and, you know, you kind of have parents with children around the same age as yours. I think that's a terrific support system. Um, one of my daughters has my youngest grandchild and she and her husband have been with it in the parenting group since uh, Lizzie was born. So it's well over a year now. And not because it was a problem, just because, you know, parenting is, uh, has always been a challenge, and especially so these days. I think that's excellent advice. You know, join parenting groups, be connected to other people, understand how other children are responding to, you know, this really chaotic and threatening world. Yeah. And what about the kids? I think some of the, because I too have grandchildren and uh, two set of twins, three-year-old and uh, a five-year-old. Uh, and they've grown up with this. It's sort of some of it is not as traumatic as we would think, or at least in, I, I, as I see with some with my grandchildren, because you know, like wearing a mask is just part of what the five year old has done, <laughs> and uh, I, so he's. It's maybe not as jarring for him as his parents think it is. He wears a mask. Everybody else wears a mask his age. Um, so it is kind of like that's his environment. That's what that's what he knows. Right. That's a very good point. And again, why um, we should be thoughtful about not overreacting because to your grandchildren, um, that's that's just the way it's always been, right? Yeah. Um, and and there may go through a little bit of adjustment when we get to the point where we're really not going to wear masks anymore. But you know that. That'll be a, a change that lots of us have to go through. What about now? We I think we're touching on some of them, but okay. The specifically, as, as I mentioned in the beginning, five resiliency tools. Okay, what what so, are? Yeah, let's label some of those. Yeah. So the first the first couple of tools are under the category of focus, right? So emotionally, a lot of us feel like human pinball machines. I mean, our emotions are just rocking all over the place and we're dealing with so many things and uh, so many things are changing that we really need to work on being grounded and able to be in a state where we're not distracted and we're not reaching for our cell phone when we're talking to our kids about not using their cell phone, right? Um, that, that does happen. So the, the, the recommendation is, first of all, just learn how to do deep breathing or belly breathing, right? It's just fully expanding your belly to make sure your lungs fill with oxygen, do it relatively slowly and then exhale. That's kind of the basic building block. And then ideally you want to do a 20 minute breathing meditation once a day. <clears throat> now, again, in an environment, people saying, Leo, we're going to 20 minutes. Well, you probably spend 20 minutes trying to fall asleep at night. So that might be where you do your 20 minutes. Um, and if you fall asleep while you're meditating, that's absolutely perfect. But that 20 minutes literally rewires your brain so that your prefrontal cortex is calming down the amygdala, which has had you in a state of hyperarousal, all of us, for over 500 days. So that's, that's one. And then if you have, you know, if your kids are a bit older, you can invite them into that. Right now, generally a five-year-old is not going to want to start there, but a <laughs> sixteen or seventeen-year-old. Um, and again, talk about this being, you know, a very scientifically grounded thing. If your if your kids respond to that, I mean, there's lots of ways to do that. Um, and if your kids won't go for breathing meditation, you can meditate doing anything. So if your kid likes to work out, hey, when you're working out, the only thing you want to think about is working out. That's meditation, right? Uh, you know, if your kid uh, is on the swim team, 
right? They should be meditating just by focusing on the swimming when they're swimming. So any activity that you just really focus on can serve the purpose. And then the second do you find in your I want to I want to just do you find in your practice sure. and I mean you've had so much experience with all of this uh, you know uh, resiliency training that teenagers uh, that coaches, that teachers are encouraging the kids, like you're talking about the kid on the swim team, to, to meditate, that more of them are doing this now, or even that pediatricians recommend this, or um, that it's not you just recommending it? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, it's um, yeah. Goldie Hawn has a, a book and a program uh, for children to meditate. There's lots of resources out there. Um, I would be thoughtful about giving a child another app to meditate, not that I'm anti-apps, but you know, we want to uh, be cautious about anything that adds more to technology addiction. But yeah, this is this is you know a growing trend. We, you know, we meditation has been around in most religious traditions for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, we're just now having the science to prove that it really, really works, whether or not it's part of your faith practice or just part of your uh, personal practice. But yeah, and kids, you know, athletes. Um, this is a major thing. There are um, a lot of experts that spend time with the pro teams, but also in the high school teams. Um, we've actually done some work with high school athletes to um, teach them uh, how do I meditate to stay grounded and focused on the game and not being worried about, you know, my homework didn't get done or, you know, some, something's bothering me at home, but the stake head in the game, literally. So, yes, it's a growing trend and, and certainly not just me behind it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so the second one is, is a three-minute meditation. It's the same practice. It's just shorter. And one of the things that happens is we don't really wake up anymore. We get launched out of bed. Right. I mean, in this environment. So people are grabbing for their smartphones before their feet hit the floor, which, by the way, is a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, the amygdala senses threats all around us. So we're hyper aroused. So anytime you feel uh, just like you're starting to get out of balance, just do a three minute meditation. And there are some times when you should particularly do it. You should particularly do it if you're transitioning from, let's say, the breakfast table to your home office or you're arriving at the workplace, right? So there is a kind of physical, neurological transition from the personal life to the work life. And then when you re-enter the personal life, whether you're entering the house after a day at the workplace or you've been there all day, but you're coming out of the room to work in, you just want to do that to get grounded. Um, and a three-minute meditation is something you can teach fairly young kids. And by the way, there's no magic to three minutes. You know, a minute does wonders, and so um, you can make it more of a game with young kids. You know, can, can we do this? Um, and don't get frustrated because it's it's a practice. It's called a practice because you practice it hopefully for the rest of your life because you need to continue to build it. So those are so two. this becomes more spontaneous. Powerful. This becomes more spontaneous. You know, doing the three minute meditation or one minute meditation rather than hopping out of bed and grabbing for the cell phone, I mean, or iPad or whatever it is, right? So that becomes yeah, yeah. the first thing you do. Okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and by the way, um, you know, things are in so much transition with what children will be doing in the fall in terms of school. Um, but whether they're going into school building or doing some blended model, whatever it is, as they go into their education day, um, 
they should, you know, do a minute or two. And when they look, even if you're in a classroom, right, uh, the old fashioned way, so to speak, um, at, at some point, most kids get frustrated during the day. So they can quietly sit in their seat and just take a minute and do a meditation and just kind of ground themselves. And again, the older the child, the easier that'll be, but you'd be surprised at how young kids can, can uh, hang on to that. What about the parents? I mean, when you bring up going back to school and it's, there's just so much, I guess, anxiety, you know, kids are not vaccinated yet. Um, How, and parents really struggling with what to do with their kid. Yeah. It's a, a, uh, you know, it's a huge deal. I think one really important thing is, don't talk about returning to school and don't talk about returning to work because we're not. We're going forward into new environments. And I, <clears throat> one of the schools uh, near where we live, they went from virtual to a blended model. And when the kids came out of the building the first day they were in person again, there were a lot of them saying, I don't know what that was, but that wasn't school. Right? So you, want, you don't want your yeah. children, first of all, Pre-pandemic, school wasn't a wonderful environment with all the respect to our educators for lots of kids. It wasn't a place where, where they were happy. That's, you know, it's just, just the state of life, if you will. So saying you're going back to school may not be an encouraging thing to say to a child, but to say, you know what, we're going into a new kind of school. There'll be some changes. There'll be some differences. And I want you to be curious about it. And the same, too, in terms of going forward into the workplace, right? Um, if you go into it expecting to return to the old ways, your anxiety may go through the roof because we know that getting your temperature taken as you walk into the workplace, hand sanitizer, social distancing, plexiglass, all of that is necessary safety precautions, but also a sign that you're in a dangerous environment to your amygdala. So, you, again, curiosity. I'm going forward into a new workplace. I think that our education system as we come through the pandemic is going to be hugely better because of what we struggled with and learned. Um, but it's going to take a reinvention. And I think that's true of many, many workplaces. So, you know, change that language from you're going back to school to, Hey, you're going into a new school environment. It'll be interesting. And that also sets up the conversation, right? Not how was school, Right, which we all know that kids don't like to answer that question at all. But hey, what was it like today? What was new? You know, I'm the, the parent-teacher meetings may you know not be happening this year. So, gee, I'm not in there. What's it like? Um, and again, with a sense of curiosity. Yeah. Well, I think the word you just said is expectation is critical, critical. And I hear so many parents doing the unfortunately the opposite we're going back to school we're going back to normal well, first of all you never one we never go back right i mean that's impossible we go right. forward but if your exactly. expectation yeah that going that we're evolving in a positive way i mean i think that's so important that expectation and and uh, i use the word evolution we are evolving in a good way new things inter- yeah. you know new skills not back to the but yeah that um yeah you're you're nailing the language right evolution expectation yeah yeah that's what we need for, for kids and adults right um yeah so that we're not um made uncomfortable by, by what we're finding right. when we go into these um because we talk about resilience we talk about resiliency and then uh, there's that second word that i'm beginning to hear is uh, we we need to be resilient we need to have those tools but then we have to be able to 
to pivot, and maybe that has to do with expectation. We we need to be resilient, but then, okay, now what are we going to do, right? With um, right. how are we going forward? Yeah. So, so one of the one of the resilience factors is agility, is, is just that ability to pivot. Um, yeah. And that's also something you can teach your children as well as yourselves. So. Um, we did this as a family when we were trying to figure out what our kids, with our grandkids, would do in terms of going through the school year. So what are the criteria that we want to base our decision on so we're not going back and forth and changing it, right? And then what are the options? And you look at how the options measure up against the criteria, and you make the best decision you can. That's a life skill that will allow your kids never to feel, or not as frequently, certainly, you feel like they're trapped or they're stuck, right? You're teaching them that there's certain criteria you want to make judgments in life around, a little different for education, a little different for sports, a little different for relationships, but kind of guiding principles. And whenever you have to come up with an option, keep those principles steady and come up with as many options as you can. And, you know, the, the learning is that if you come up with eight options or your child comes up with eight options about how to do their homework and still participate in sports or debating club or whatever, um, they're going to learn that there's lots of creative ways to approach life. They're going to learn that some really bad ideas that don't meet any of the criteria, which is good for them to learn because you want to encourage them to say, hey, you're being creative. You're really testing the boundaries. You're really trying to find new ways. And then they're going to find this two or three ways that are pretty good. And then you and the child could say, okay, which one do you want to start with? Okay, and if that Leo, what about, lo- what about loss? Because I'm thinking about it actually in terms of myself. I, I flew from I, a couple of days ago. I was in New York, New York, and I just I'm in LA now, and I'm on the plane for five hours, and we're wearing masks, and I can't see. It's the first time I've taken a long flight since pre-COVID, right? And I used to mm-hmm. go all over the world, but it's like. There was a sadness that I think I had to deal with. Like this, this isn't the same trip. This isn't the same, you know. And to be able to sort of recognize that and accept it, and 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 kind of work that through. And I'm wondering, do our kids do they struggle with the same thing? You know, that sort of. I guess I would call it a loss, a grief. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it, it's not just a plane ride. It just kind of the it's the context of this whole COVID post pan or pandemic, right? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So a couple of things. One is parents should share that, um, again, comfortably without, you know, too much energy behind it. But, you know, for you to say to your grandkids, you know, I had this experience. I used to fly all the time and I took this long flight and it was uncomfortable for me. Right. And, And then you could say, is there anything going on with you that's like that? So it's, Again, you're making it something natural, not something like, oh, my gosh, I had this terrible experience on a plane. It's very unusual compared to what grandma experienced before. What's going on in your life? The other thing is um, acceptance, right? So uh, there's five things that we cannot change. One is everything changes and ends. The second is people are not loving and kind all the time. Pain is part of life. Things don't always go according to plan, and life isn't fair. Now, that doesn't sound like really uh, positive things to look forward to. It doesn't sound very depressing. (laughs) But if you understand that, right, and accept that that's just part of life, then you get your kid not to go into the guilt trip. And, you know, lots of kids who go through divorces and other things like that 
take on the burden of it must be my fault. No, 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 no. Painful things happen in life. Mom and dad didn't plan to get divorced, but things don't always go according to plan. And, you know, well, why did it happen to our family? Sometimes life just isn't fair. Um, so that's, that's an important thing. I wouldn't do what I just did to you and the audience and go through all five at once, but just kind of <laughs> right. leave that into conversations about these losses. So that, again, they see that as a natural part of life. Uh, the I other think thing that's is, critical. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Ahead. another um, thing is, yeah, go ahead. So, so when we walk into a situation or we have a disappointment, you know, for for a student, it could be I, I really worked hard and I flunked this test. Okay, and they, they may emotionally feel like this is never going to end. I'm never going to recover from this. I'm going to lose everything. I'm you know, going to fail all my classes. And then, and then finally, I have no idea what to do. Right? So that's an emotional response. And we as adults have the same thing. We want to teach ourselves and our kids. Right? All of this is learn it as a parent and then share it with the kids to teach them. If you simply ask yourself three questions in, in response to small disappointments, so you wire the brain, the questions are, will this last forever? Even in terms of the pandemic and all the things that are part of it, the answer is no, it's not going to last forever. It's going to be uncertain. It's uneven. But there's no respected authority in the world that doesn't agree. At some point, we will solve these problems. Will I lose everything? No. Um, we've lost a lot of things. We've lost a lot of things we were comfortable with. There's been really you know, tragic losses of people dying from COVID and 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 some surviving and still having long-term effects, but there's other things you haven't lost. So one of the things I talk about is I'm much closer to my grandkids because of the pandemic, right? So there's, there's other things that have been gained. And then the third thing is how can I make things just a little bit better today, right? So just, you know, for as a parent, just spending 10 or 15 minutes a day with your child is going to protect them and make a world a better place. But you can also, you know, help them think of, okay, so you had a disappointing day. It's not going to last forever. You didn't lose everything. And what can we do now to make things better? Could be I'm going to have to stop you because we break? have one minute left. And this has been a oh, sorry, really Catherine. great. Yeah, I know. It's a great conversation. So I want to make sure that because this needs to be continued. And people need to be talking about all these issues that you and I have been talking about. So give us the website and or websites we can go to to continue the conversation with you. Okay, great. For me, www.centerforresilience.com. And, uh, you know, that kind of describes everything we're, we're talking about. Um, you should also go to the Jana Marie Foundation. Just uh, Google them. Uh, they were started by the younger sister of a woman who completed suicide a number of years ago. And they are all about educating young people to destigmatize mental illness and to grow and be healthy. So they're based in uh, State College, Pennsylvania, but they're a great resource, give you lots of ideas. So I highly recommend them. Um, and then finally, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number there is 1-800-273. 8255. If you are concerned or worried, you know, reach out and call somebody that's, you know, what they're there for. Great. Dr. Leo Flanagan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Great show. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks so much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 